Acts 1, beginning at verse 1. Let's read together. The first account I compiled, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know time or epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, Lord, we thank you for your presence that we've sensed in this house. And I ask now that you will open our hearts that we may hear not so much what the preacher is going to say, but that we may hear what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to comprehend. And I lift up other life-giving churches and pray blessing upon them. I also pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. And I especially pray for sons and daughters who have wandered from the faith. And I ask, O oh Lord, that you'll send the Holy Spirit after them to draw them back to you. Reveal to them their need for you. Don't let one of them be lost. I pray all these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Acts is a remarkable book in many ways. It is a linking book serving as a bridge between the Gospels on one side and the epistles on the other. The last recorded fact about Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew is the resurrection, which is recorded then in the first chapter of Acts. In the Gospel of Mark, the last recorded act of Jesus is the ascension, which is also recorded in Acts chapter 1. In the Gospel of Luke, the last recorded fact is the promise of the Holy Spirit. That is also in Acts 1. And in the Gospel of John, the last recorded fact is the second coming of Jesus, and that also is found in the first chapter of Acts. In addition, the great missionary commission, which appears in all four Gospels, is confirmed in the book of Acts. That's one side of Acts, which connects it to the Gospels. But then the book of Acts is connected on the other side to the epistles, for it is in the book of Acts that we read of the birth of the church and the history of the founding of the various churches to which the epistles are directed. The theme or key to the book of Acts is found in verse 8 that we read just a moment ago as the last verse of the text for the message today. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria 
and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now, the book of Acts naturally divides according to this key verse. The first seven chapters of the book record the work of the Holy Spirit through the apostles in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 record the Holy Spirit working through the apostles in Judea and Samaria. The remainder of the book is devoted to the work of the Holy Spirit through the apostles unto the uttermost part of the earth. One of the interesting things to note about the book of Acts is that it isn't complete. It stops rather abruptly with Paul in his own hired house in Rome as he's a prisoner. There's no proper ending to the book. And the reason is because the book of Acts is a continuing story. And this is why I want to spend some time in this book over the next several weeks. We need to not only observe what happened in history as recorded in the book of Acts, but at the same time, we need to remember we are part of the continuing story of Acts. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in the early church is the same ministry the Holy Spirit is doing in the 21st century in which we live. The church that was established to speak to the first century world is a continuing ministry that remains relevant in today's 21st century world. The Holy Spirit is still just as active and alive and at work as he was when the church was born on the day of Pentecost. There is a present-day ministry of the Spirit that functions in and through the church. There is a contemporary application of God's Spirit working with grace and glory in the midst of His people. What I want you to see is that we are part of that church. When I talk about the Spirit working in the church, I'm really talking about the Spirit working in you. When I talk about the anointing of the Spirit empowering the church, I'm talking about you having anointing and you having power. See, Jesus didn't design his church to be a weak, ineffective, wimpy social club. When Jesus talks about his church, he says it's like an army moving against the enemy and knocking over the gates of hell that tries to stand in its path. In another place, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Jesus describes the activity of the church with power words, raising up the sick and casting out demons. The church Jesus has in mind goes forth as light in darkness. It functions as salt to sanctify and to purify. It isn't a sissy, prissy, sit in the shade, inconsequential organization. Instead, it is a robust powerhouse that impacts the world with good news and establishes his kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy. That's the church Jesus has in mind. Now, the problem I see is that there seems to be a great disconnect between what Jesus says about his church and the reality of the modern organization we call the church. In most places and most cases, the church isn't going into the world as a liberating force. Instead, it's huddling together trying to defend what little territory is left to it. Instead of making disciples of every nation, the modern church is trying to entertain its present constituents so they don't pack up and go to another congregation down the street. Instead of impacting the world, too often the modern church is being infiltrated and impacted by the philosophies and the priorities of the culture. 
So the question I have is one that asks, how do we turn this thing around? How do we get back to the place where we look like the church we have been designed, called, and ordained to be? How do we become the church that is relevant to our modern world? Well, I want to suggest to you that it starts right here with this key verse for the book of Acts. When we talk about recovering the power and the anointing we need to be relevant in this modern world, the first thing we have to do is identify the source. You know, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is known as the spirit of power. When Jesus told his disciples, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, that didn't really sound strange to their ears. For when they heard those words, they would remember back in Numbers chapter 11, where some of the spirit of the Lord that rested upon Moses was given to the 70 elders, and they prophesied and judged the people. They would remember how the spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel in Judges chapter 3, and he judged Israel and delivered her from her enemies. They would remember how the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon Samson in Judges chapter 15, and he took the jawbone of a donkey and slew a thousand Philistines. They would remember the promise given by the prophet in Ezekiel 36 and 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my commandments and my ordinances. They would remember Micah 3 and 8. I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and courage to make known to Jacob his rebellious acts, even to Israel his sin. They would remember how the word of the Lord came to Zerubbabel in Zechariah 4, 6 and said, it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. They would remember what happened in Luke 4 and 14, when Jesus returned from being tempted in the wilderness, how he returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. They would remember how Jesus commissioned them to go into the world in John chapter 20. And then before he sent them, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, once again, in this key verse from the book of Acts, Jesus identifies the Holy Spirit as the source of power we are going to need if we're going to do the work of the kingdom. Somewhere along the line, we have to face the reality that the source of the power we need is not in our understanding of the Bible. The source of the power we need is not in our powers of persuasion. It isn't in the exciting programs we develop and the ministries we support. It isn't in the beautiful buildings we construct. It isn't in the brilliance of our orators, nor is it in the exuberance of our worship. If you want to know the source, if you want to know where the power comes from, it's the helper, it's the enabler, it's the dunamis, the dynamic power we need from the Holy Spirit filling our lives with his presence. Jesus said, you're not ready to do the works I have done and the works I have commanded you to do until you have the same power I have. And that power comes when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit who empowered the Old Testament judges and prophets. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus, by the power and through the power of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus performed miracles. It was the Holy Spirit who transformed the early disciples into a powerful witness. It was the Holy Spirit who enabled the early church to endure relentless persecution and severe tribulation and continue to stand strong in faith in the midst of it all. And I want to suggest to you today that if we are going to accomplish the works we've been given 
been given to do by the Lord Jesus. If we're going to be the church collectively and the people individually, he desires us to be. If we're going to be a relevant force in a dark world, it will require us to receive a fresh anointing, a fresh infilling, a fresh impartation of the same Holy Spirit into our lives and into this church. What we need in times like these is an infilling, a baptism in the Holy Spirit. If, if we're going to be a relevant church in a modern world, we have to start by identifying the source. But then we have to understand there must be an impartation of the Spirit. Once we know the source of the power is the Holy Spirit, then we have to come to the place where we actually receive this Spirit. It's not going to do any good for you to sit there on your seats and listen to me say, it's the Holy Spirit who is the source of the power, and you say, amen, and then walk out of here and nothing happens and nothing changes. It's one thing to know about the power of the Spirit. It's quite another thing to actually tap into the power and embrace this power so it is active in our lives. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus told the disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait until he sent the Holy Spirit. We know they waited 10 days, and on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This was the first infilling. Up until that time, the Holy Spirit had come upon people, but now the Holy Spirit had come into people. Since that first impartation, the remaining accounts in the Bible give us no set amount of time of waiting. They waited 10 days, but since then, in fact, it's difficult to find any real pattern emerging for how to receive the Holy Spirit when you look at the Scriptures. Some are baptized in water and almost immediately filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, early church history tells us it was their expectation that new believers would be immersed in the waters of baptism, and when they came up out of the water, they expected they would be filled with the Spirit. Some people are baptized. Nothing happens for a long period of time before they experience the fullness of the Spirit. Some people are baptized in the Holy Spirit while they're being prayed for by someone else. Others are baptized in the Spirit all by themselves. The patterns vary, but there do seem to be some common denominators and some guiding principles we can follow. First of all, Jesus instructed us to ask to be filled with the Spirit. In Luke eleven thirteen, 13, he said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We're told to ask so that we may receive. One of the reasons some people have not been filled with the spirit is because they just never asked for it. Am I in the right church today? I'm just, okay. You, you've forgotten the more response we get, the shorter the sermon. Because when, when you don't respond, I think I'm not getting through, and so I have to go back and explain it all over again. Second, we find in the Bible that praise acts as a facilitator in receiving the Holy Spirit of power into our lives. See, as we praise we prepare our hearts as a throne for the Spirit of the Lord to sit upon. As we praise, we enter His presence, and we open a clear channel for His presence then to enter us. Third, Jesus said in Matthew 5 and 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
It's the hungry heart, the heart that yearns for God and for intimate fellowship with him that is satisfied with the fullness of the Spirit. The Apostle Peter preached in Acts 2.39 that the promise of the Holy Spirit was not just for that day of Pentecost, but he said, this promise is for you and for your children and to all who are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. Paul gave instruction to us when he wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and said, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. I'm trying to tell you today, there is absolutely no way you are going to be able to do the works of Jesus in building his kingdom unless the power of his Spirit is active within you. This church is not going to be a relevant church for this modern world if we aren't filled with the Spirit. If you've come to Jesus and received forgiveness for your sin, then there are some next steps you need to take. You need to be baptized in water. You need to spend time developing a close relationship with the Heavenly Father through prayer, study of His Word, the Bible. You need to fellowship and worship with others of like faith. And before you go out to minister, earnestly desire, ask for, seek for, hunger and thirst for, and then be filled with the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. Being a relevant church in a modern world requires us to have an impartation of the Spirit. You need to be filled with the Spirit. I'll just say it one more time for emphasis. You need to be filled with the Spirit. I'll say it a third time for all the people on the back row that didn't get it yet. You need to be filled with the Spirit. And I feel like I just need to stop long enough to say to somebody who has ears to hear and faith to believe right now, be filled with the Spirit. Somebody has faith rising in your heart right this very minute. The Spirit has spoken to you while I've been preaching and He's awakened a hunger in your heart. You want more of God. Am I talking to anybody who wants more of God? You want everything He has for you. The Spirit is calling to you right now while I'm preaching. The word of the Lord to you is be filled with the Spirit. I'm telling you, you don't have to wait for the end of the message. You don't have to wait for a special invitation song. You don't have to wait for a particular individual to lay hands on you. But right now, with faith in your heart, just open your mouth in praise. Yield to the presence of God that comes to you in this moment. Cry out to God with a desperate hunger for more of Him than you've ever known before. Receive the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Somebody ought to just begin to praise him right now and allow the Holy Spirit to manifest himself in your life. Go ahead, go ahead, praise him, praise him, praise him in this house. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, I don't know why we're waiting for some, some extraterrestrial thing to happen. You know, we think we've got to wait till we've got glory bumps running up and down our arms. and We think we have to wait until everything's all hyped up. My great Aunt Ruby, going on to be with Jesus sought the Lord to be filled with the Holy Spirit for years and just couldn't seem to find that breakthrough moment. And one day, right by herself in her kitchen, in the middle of washing the pots and pans, 
she got to thinking about the goodness of God and got to praising the Lord right there while she's scrubbing the pots and pans and suddenly was baptized in the Holy Spirit, danced all over the kitchen, speaking in another tongue, believing and knowing that God had gloriously filled her. I'm telling you, you don't have to wait for a church service. You don't have to wait for the pastor to lay hands on you. You don't have to wait for anything except you and God get connected. And when you and God make a connection, that's when the Spirit comes into your life. We're so busy looking for all of the flash and bang and the noise and the thunder and the... We're looking for the smoke and mirror stuff. And all you have to do is just touch God and let God touch you. Long for him. Get in his presence. We're so worried about, I've, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me, let me back up. I'm, I want you to get this so much. I really just want you to get this. If we're going to be a relevant church in a modern world, we have to identify the source. We have to impart the spirit. One more thing then I'm done. And this is absolutely critical if we're going to be a relevant church in a modern world. The point of this identification and the impartation is so you can then impact the society. Jesus instructed, instructed his followers to wait until they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But once they were filled, he didn't say we were supposed to sit around and rejoice in our blessings. He didn't tell them to form a Holy Spirit club to get together once a week and exercise spiritual gifts over one another and shout praises together. Right? Jesus told us to be filled with the Spirit and then go and be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And this is where we get to the heart of what the Holy Spirit has laid on my heart for the message today and for this series of messages about the relevant church. The main objective is to get people in a right relationship with the Heavenly Father through faith in His Son, Jesus. We sometimes forget that. You know, I've been a participant in the fullness of the Spirit all my life. For those of you that are new to this congregation, I say this all the time. My, the, the people who have been here for a while know this. I, I say I, I was going to church nine months before I was born. Yeah. I just... And it was a spirit-filled church. So I've been, this has been a, a natural part of who I am. My observation is that sometimes we can get so carried away by the manifestations of the spirit and by the peripheral issues about the spirit and by the demonstrations of power that accompany the entrance of the spirit until we forget the purpose of the Spirit. If we aren't careful, it's possible that signs and wonders and demonstrations of spiritual gifts will become the focus and the objects of our worship rather than Jesus. Now, I want to slow down a moment and be very careful in this next section so I'm not misquoted or misunderstood. You know, we've already prayed this morning about this. You know I believe in divine healing. I've personally been touched by the healing grace of Jesus and made well. I've prayed for others who have been healed by the touch of Jesus on their life. 
At the same time, you need to know that your spiritual enemy does not care how many people we get healed as long as we focus on healing instead of Jesus. I believe in divine utterance of the Spirit in speaking in tongues. The Bible teaches it. It's part of my personal practice, and it's one of the manifestations to announce the presence of the Holy Spirit filling the life of the believer. But your spiritual enemy does not care how loud or how long we speak in tongues as long as we focus on tongues instead of Jesus. I believe in spirited worship. I love to see the saints rejoicing in worship. There are very few things as gratifying as a congregation corporately united in worship. But it's possible to get so caught up in the worship expressions that we begin to worship our worship instead of worshiping Jesus. The church ought to be involved in acts of kindness and works of charity. This church is heavily invested in this ministry of helps and benevolence and mission outreach to those less fortunate. But our spiritual enemy doesn't care how many charitable acts we do or how busy we are in religious activities as long as we focus on them instead of Jesus. Here's what I know. In the midst of oiling the church machinery, in the midst of trying to develop meaningful programs, in the midst of managing budgets and caring for buildings, we must never forget the prime directive of the church. The primary mission is not to call people to church membership. Primary mission is not to call people to our particular brand of holiness Pentecostal living. The primary mission is not to call people to follow our denominational creed. Our primary mission is to call people to follow Jesus. And hear me, the thing that makes us Pentecostal is not our lively music. The thing that makes us Pentecostal is not because I preach fast and loud and the congregation shouts amen. It isn't because we all pray together. It isn't because some people fall out when we lay hands on them in prayer. It isn't because there are manifestations of spiritual gifts. But we are truly Pentecostal when we go into a lost world that is dying and going to hell without a Savior and through the anointing and the power of the Spirit, bring them into the kingdom of God. That's when we're Pentecostal. There are hurting people all around us. The people of this world, they don't even know what they're looking for, but they're desperate for something that will speak to where they are and show them a better way. And the only answer for the hurts of humanity is Jesus. The only way to effectively speak that answer to the questions being asked is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The way to impact the society in which we live is through the power of the Spirit the way to impact your family members, the way to impact the people on your job, the way to impact the people in your neighborhood, the, impact, the way to impact the stranger you meet in the supermarket or at the dry cleaners or at the gas pump. You, the way to do that is through the power of the Spirit. It's the only way you're gonna be effective. A church that is relevant in this modern world is one that is comprised of people who are passionately committed to Jesus, so caught up and wrapped up in him that they are filled with his Spirit 
And then they are taking the message of his grace and mercy and love to bring help to the helpless and hope to the hopeless. The Lord Jesus is calling you to be filled with the Spirit. And the Lord Jesus is then calling you to impact your world through the power of the Spirit. So I wonder, is there anybody ready to accept the invitation and the challenge? The invitation is to be filled with the Spirit. The challenge is then to impact your world through the power of the Holy Spirit. Stand with me, please.